the Talent Experience Podcast featuring authentic conversations on the future of work. Empowering you to better understand and deliver a best-in-class, future-proofed career experience. For more insightful conversations, visit talentexperiencepodcast.com. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Talent Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Susan Lowe, and our guest today is Jolie Wills. Um, as a CEO of Americas and co-founder at Hummingly, Jolie is passionate about uh, well-being and supporting organizations to enable their people to thrive under pressure. Jolie is a cognitive scientist and a leading psychosocial expert in disaster and disruption and a global thought leader in resiliency, leadership, and team effectiveness under pressure. Hummingly brings the research, science, and learning from leading teams in the toughest conditions to your leaders and to teams so that they are equipped to thrive under pressure. Really a very big welcome. It's so wonderful to have you join us. Thanks for being here today. Thanks, Susan. Thanks very much for having me. Looking forward to our conversation. So am I. So am I. I think we um, have got some great things to chat through and I know our listeners are going to enjoy it. So um, I guess before we get into what brought you into this space, I think our listeners would love to know why you believe this is such an important conversation for organisations to be having. Wonderful. And your listeners can't see me nodding, right? But yeah, absolutely. For, for me, this is a crucial conversation we really do need to be having. Um, and it's all about, you know, risk and uncertainty and the change at the fast pace that we've experienced, you know, in the last few years, these are now really defining features of the times that we're operating in. And if you think about the last couple of years, you know, there have been this huge endurance event. So leaders and teams have been fully stretched for a really long time now, and they've had to constantly change and innovate, you know, how we lead, how teams connect, how they operate. And so what we've got now is leaders who have been, um, if we're honest, they still are really grappling with how to build cohesive, resilient and high performing teams when the pressure's really on. And we know that the best leaders and the best organisations for these times, they're going to be able to build that fitness for pressure without burning people out. And so we talk about, you know, building fitness in your people for climbing grit mountain. And that's, you know, when you're dealing with any big challenge or achieving anything big and meaningful, that's really hard. And leaders and organizations need to know how to help their people through that grit zone. And that's where they're operating under pressure as highly connected and really cohesive teams to achieve things that are really hard and worthwhile. And, um, you know, growing that fitness for pressure, it's it's a really important leadership task and skill. You know, it's important for our people but it's also really essential for ensuring that our organizations, they're really set up to perform well. And what is the current environment, right? Which is, you know, hugely defined by disruption and pressure, but also no matter what the future comes, um, no matter what the future throws our way. And it'd be fair to say that that's, organizations need to be talking about this and thinking about this, not just from a internal context, but also an external context. So the change and challenge that exists globally in the world, not just what their organization might be going through. 
Absolutely. You know, I think just the the times that we're in are only going to become more disrupted. They're only going to become more uncertain. Um, you know, change is going to just keep happening at a really fast pace. And um, I think it's it's an imperative that as organisations and leaders, we set our people up for that and our organisations to do well in that kind of environment. And that will be a, a competitive advantage for those that are able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um, so I guess I know that you've studied um, how the mind works under pressure, particularly. Um, tell us a little bit more about the science and how it applies to the workplace, because I think a lot of people would be thinking, you know, maybe it doesn't apply in the workplace. Yeah, so um, I'm a cognitive scientist. So that means that I've for a very long time been fascinated by how sci- uh, how the stress impacts performance. And um, probably the easiest way is to take you through a little bit of the, of the cognitive science around that. And what we can do in the lab, and I promise I have never actually done this to anybody, right? This is <laughs> this is very much what the, the experiments show. I've just been my own social experiment, right? And definitely seen it playing out in, in teams and organizations. But what we can do is we can artificially alter the cortisol levels, which is one of the stress hormones in people's bloodstream, and then ply them with tests to see how they perform cognitively. So that might be memory tests, you know, ability to solve problems, decision making, and how does that change at different levels of stress? And if you can imagine a hill, you know, so I'm sort of thinking of a graph in my mind and it's shaped like a hill. And at the top, you've got this peak sweet spot for performance and at either side you've got really you know um, poor performance under pressure and under stress and what that looks like is at a very low levels of cortisol in someone's bloodstream then their um, performance is really poor and that's often counterintuitive because we're taught all the time that stress is bad but actually you know there's so many demands in the world all the time we just can't apply ourselves you know equally or you know at at great measure to to everything and so we need to have some pressure and stress to be able to perform well right so if we don't care enough or we don't have enough skin in the game then we're not really going to apply ourselves you know to the the best of our abilities so poor performance when stress is low and then if we increase the stress levels we hit the beautiful sweet Um, spot at the top of that hill where we perform we really step up and do amazing things Um, it's not comfortable you know we're often doing things that are new and uncertain and you'll see this in teams and organizations as well as individuals but this is where people bring their all and they do incredible things you know and that's that real peak spot of performance but then if stress goes on for too long or becomes too much we slump down the other side And our performance is pretty appalling, really, in terms of our decision making, our problem solving, you know, short term thinking instead of strategic thinking um, and our ability to be able to collaborate and relate constructively to others and teams. All of that really crashes. And at that point, you know, we're often um, really putting in even more effort because things aren't going so well. So, you know, the connection between effort and performance has has gone and it's very much um, at that point, you know, the impact of of too much stress or that, you know, that cumulative load for people. Um, and it's biological, right? It's it's one of those things. It's not about intelligence or toughness. It, it's just understanding that actually this is a biological, you know, mechanism that happens to all of us. And we need to understand what that looks like in an organization if we are to support performance under pressure. Um, yeah. And I think, yeah, the other thing to know is that, you know, that prolonged pressure 
is really harmful if we do not manage it well, right? If we load people up for too long um, with too much, we can break the most resilient of people. But if you think about the top of that graph, um, you know, it's really the best thing that we can do is, is understanding that that pressure um, provides the best conditions for personal and professional growth. Um, it mm-hmm. just takes getting intentional as an organization or as a leader to really tip the balance towards growth and performance under pressure and away from damage. Um, and that's, that's not as hard as it sounds. Yeah. And I, I think it's, um, you know, it, it's a really small example, but I, I think one of the, the things we can all probably resonate with is that peak performance that we experience when we're about to go on holiday. You know, there's nothing like that deadline of needing to get to the airport that gives us the pressure that that drives that laser focus. Um, yes. and, and, and I don't know about you, but, you know, increased productivity that you never see at any other time. Yeah, that's a great example for sure. It is that laser focus and just, you know, getting amazing, you know, getting things done, churning through it in a really productive way. Um, that's when we're most effective, most efficient, right? If we slip down the other side, then no matter what we do, we've lost that efficiency and effectiveness. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Thank you. Um, and, and I guess, you know, with all of that in mind and, and, and our listeners will be able to hear, um, you know, the passion behind kind of, you know, what you're talking about and how important you see this being for organisations. Um, how did Hummingley come to be? Tell us the story. Well, there is a bit of a backstory, right? I guess like everything. Um, so I have a co-founder, Elizabeth McNaughton, who is back in New Zealand. She looks after Australasia. And between the two of us, we tend to say that our careers have quite literally been a series of disasters. And we mean that in the literal sense, you know, think tsunamis, massive earthquakes. Um, So leading teams after these huge events um, in the most difficult of circumstances. And we met working on the Christchurch earthquakes. So Christchurch is my home city in New Zealand. And um, at the time, you know, we're leading a team and we had a team that's just under immense pressure. Um, so you can imagine there's so much at stake when you're you know, playing a part in rebuilding a city, but also supporting the population through everything that's going on for them. So, you know, massive amount at stake um, and not performing as a team or failing just wasn't an option for us, um, as you can imagine. And, and through all of this, we had people operating under really prolonged pressure. And, you know, there was 15,000 aftershocks over the period of, of five years. There was, you know, a lot of people impacted by the event themselves, um, as well as supporting others. So very much like people have experienced with COVID, you know, in the last few years. And we just knew that we needed to find a way to sustain our team so that they could really sustain their performance and the support, the th- you know, the, the mission, essentially, you know, over the, it was really critical for us to, to find a way to sustain them so they could do their best work. And the reality was we threw everything we could think of at this team, you know, everything that you would typically do around well-being and resilience. Um, we tried it all. And, um, you know, as a cognitive science, I knew how important this was going to be. And they, we were still burning them out. That was the reality. We were just burning people out slower at a slower rate than everyone else around us because we were being proactive. But it was a very sobering reality. And that led me to think there's got to be a better way and there wasn't any research or guidance out there at the time that could really help us with that. When people are working under prolonged pressure, how do we support them then? You know, so 
I ended up with a Winston Churchill Fellowship, which meant I could visit all these different disaster zones around the world, not looking at the initial days or weeks, but looking at that long tail of prolonged and cumulative pressure, which you know, we, a lot of us can relate to in our organization's disaster or not, you know, and wanting to understand what were we alone, obviously, in these impacts. And of course, we weren't. And the last few years have, have really painted that in a very predictable way, you know, in the same way that we saw in this research, but also what did we need to do differently and um, better? So, you know, for us, what followed from that was a decade of, you know, creating and refining and deploying the training tools, organizations and leaders and teams really to get very practical and very intentional about supporting their people to perform when the pressure's on um, and to prevent burnout, you know, to prevent that team dysfunction and turnover so essentially, we want all the good stuff and none of the bad stuff that pressure can bring. Um, and then, of course, the world changed. And it wasn't just disaster organizations that needed this. It's organizations the world over that can, you know, can really benefit from, from what we do. So that's a little bit of the backstory. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you. Um, I guess, you know, we, we're seeing at the moment, you know, the horrific um, uh, images in the news of what's happening in, in Turkey um, and, you know, at, at a, a much um, greater scale um, given the location of, of that region um, than what you experienced in Christchurch. What would be your advice for organisations that have got, um, you know, sites or employees that are, that are based in, in that particular part of the world I think one of the things um, is to obviously is to stay connected and check in a lot of people um, will find it hard to know what they need at this point but just to understand what one person needs and how they're affected is going to be very different to what someone else needs so being very flexible in your approach to the support on offer um, very practical at this point, but also very understanding of, of the adrenaline that may be flowing for people. Um, and that's going to come with massive tiredness, you know, as the reality sets in and, and a lot of that adrenaline wears off. Um, and I think one of the, the most important messages is to know that this is going to be a long haul for people. So what we tend to see, it's a very natural human reaction. You know, the lights, the sirens, the attention are there in the short term. Huge amount of support will rally around those that are affected. And um, that need for support is going to be be very ongoing and then feel forgotten as our attention natural drifts elsewhere. So just be prepared to be there and support in the long run uh, for people through time. They're going to need your support in organisations in practical ways, you know, or just checking in to see how people are doing and acknowledging what they're, what they're going through in the next, not just months, but years. Nice. I appreciate that and I'm sure our listeners um, who are in that situation um, and supporting people in, in that part of the world um, will no doubt um, find that a valuable piece of advice. Um, but as you mentioned, it's not just disaster organisations. You know, all organisations are facing this challenge and should be having this conversation. Um, so I'd love to know, um, you obviously do um, quite a bit of keynote speaking, um, you run hummingly run workshops with organisations. What would you say is the most important tip piece of advice that you share um, either during a keynote or during one of those amazing workshops? I think the most important pieces we've covered some of and that is the importance of pressure proofing your people. You know, I think that cumulative and prolonged stress is hazardous um, but also that we have the power to tip the balance uh, towards growth for our organisations and our people rather than damage. That would be the, the main things um, but in terms of something new I can tell a story if that's helpful. 
if that's yeah getting a nod okay so yeah (laughs) so one of the people I interviewed on my Winston Churchill fellowship you know Elizabeth and I had the pleasure an amazing leader you know fantastic track record and reputation um and we were connecting with her to to really understand her insights of leading in this kind of disrupted environment um and when we we called to to check in on on you know the the meeting for that day she said to us um change of plans i need you to come to meet me at home she said i'm actually on stress leave and i'm suffering some pretty significant burnout so um, i'm not at work can you come and interview me at home as you imagine, we sort of said, well, we can postpone, doesn't need to be done today. And she said, no, it's more important now more than more than ever. Please come and see me. And she painted the picture for us of the impact of working under prolonged stress, stress and pressure for her as a leader. And it was incredibly sobering, like health impacts, mental health impacts, all sorts of things, you know, impacts on her career and her team. But she said to us, you know, after describing this, you know, very sobering state of affairs for her, um, she said, you know, that's not the scary thing. So what's scarier than that? And she said, I actually stopped when I got off that treadmill of running just constantly so hard, so fast for so long. She said, I stopped and I took stock and I realized, I looked at my team and realized they were only about three weeks behind me in terms of Mm. burnout on that front. And so a really important message we often give organizations and leaders is to understand that we lead others to where we ourselves are at. You know, and leaders have given and and shouldered a huge amount and buffered teams from so much over the last couple of years. So, you know, for leaders out there really um, checking in to see where you're at because where you're at and how you're doing is going to have a huge influence on how your team's doing. But also for organisations remembering that leaders have carried a huge amount over the last couple of years and they too are susceptible to burnout. So supporting them is really important. Yeah, what a powerful story and shows just such a a level of um, self-awareness and, um, you know, the the insights that were gained from that reflection are so powerful as well, not only for her own journey, no doubt, um, but the leadership of her team as well. Um, Such a, a great piece of advice. Um, Well, I guess, you know, you mentioned before the pandemic, um, and I guess I want to kind of flip this um, a little bit differently, because over the course of the pandemic, and particularly kind of post-pandemic, a lot of organisations have really struggled with company culture, um, Mm. with lots of people working from home. This concept of maintaining a connected culture as an employer is something that people are grappling with. Um, And and so what role do you think wellbeing can play in helping support maintain a connected culture? That's such a great question. I think, you know, you're spot on in the fact that we have the benefit now of more flexibility in how we work Um, but that's throwing up huge challenges you know for leaders in particular so people have never felt more disconnected from their colleagues you know so 65 percent whopping 65 percent feel this way it's huge you know so we're social creatures and so that really impacts both our well-being and our performance Um, and so collaboration and team outputs you know these are really difficult with their that trust or that connectedness that comes more easily in face-to-face connection. So it's definitely a challenge to be grappled with. I understand, yeah, I understand why leaders, that's a really important challenge to to really face and to get right. Um, I'd say in short, it's all connected, you know, well-being, team cohesion, culture, performance, they're, they're all very connected. And at Hummingly, you know, we talk about well-being and resilience being a triple responsibility. 
you know, it's so at the organizational level, it's really vital with uh, leaders in the organization that they they put in place approaches to to minimize harm, you know, and to support well-being and performance under pressure. But we can also equip teams, you know, that teams team members have this responsibility and they can have strategies that they can put in place to support each other under pressure. So, you know, it's it's at that level as well, as well as with individuals, like making sure that they've got the tools to do well when the pressure's on. So it's not, you know, all on the leaders, but it's about how do we get each of those three levels to step up, but to equip them with what they need to be able to, to enact their responsibility. Um, you know, so well-being is not just an individual thing. It is about team cohesion. It's about connectedness. It's about organisational culture, risk management. All of these things line up to people feeling and operating at their best, especially when the pressure's on. Yeah, amazing. And 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 I know I'm a big fan of the 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 well-being action plan um, that Hummingley supports. And I think you know how organisations could use that within a team environment to have kind of a team plan um, could be incredibly powerful as well, and really support that connected um, team culture. Um, so I love that concept. We could keep this conversation going um, on and on. We could keep talking, um, you know, for hours, I'm sure. Um, But to wrap us up, I'd like to ask you one last question that we pose to all of our guests on the show. And that is, what do you love most about your work and what you do? And what do you wish you'd have known when you started? I just love those questions. They really get you thinking. Um, I think what I love most is I I do feel this moral obligation to pass on that really hard-won learning from leading teams after disasters and from other crisis leaders, right? So we're operating in this world right now with disruption and change is the new norm. Um, So these lessons are incredibly valuable for organizations and leaders everywhere. So for me, it's a real privilege to be able to package that knowledge up in ways that's game-changing, for for organizations so for me it's the aha moments you know that sense of relief that we see from leaders when you lay out a simple way forward um, and the growth that follows for them and their teams um, that's a really special privilege for sure what did I wish I'd known when I started Um, I think that we weren't alone with the challenges we were facing in Christchurch you know with hindsight we've seen it play out again and again in organizations everywhere Um, and with our Winston Churchill Fellowship that was soon very clear Um, but that sense of feeling like is it just us like what are we doing wrong (laughs) you know that sense of um, and then realizing it's not just us and actually it's about um, it's about this is a reaction to the conditions that we're facing and and there are things that we can easily apply Um, that's become a huge inspiration for me that that leaders do not have to struggle on alone and working out how to equip and support their people to do well under pressure you know it's it's hard but there's now a way to make it so much easier so yeah I think that would be my answer great insights thank you for sharing thank you again um, to our guest um, Jolie Wills uh, for joining us and being part of the talent experience uh, community we really appreciate you taking the time um, to sit down and have a chat with us thanks Susan and thanks everyone for for having me for the talent experience podcast I'm Susan Lowe and thanks again for listening Thanks for listening to this episode of the Talent Experience Podcast. For more talent experience and future of work conversations, visit talentexperiencepodcast.com. 
follow us on Twitter at TalentX Podcast. Or join the conversation with hashtag Talent Experience Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or Twitter. The Talent Experience Podcast was brought to you by the fabulous Fuelies at Fuel 50.